welcome to Between the Lines, uh, episode one. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks, uh, Emily, for doing this. Thanks. I'm really excited to be here. So Emily and I started this podcast because we wanted to have conversations about education and a little bit of background on how we got here and how we met. Um, so I started a, a business a little over a year ago, and my main goal is to produce products and resources for educators. I'm really passionate about education and I, I want to impact the world through um, through empowering educators with resources. And uh, a, a few weeks ago, I realized and kind of came to terms with the fact that I am not a salesperson or a marketer. And so I reached out to some people and, and got introduced to Emily and was just super excited by her passion for marketing and sales and education as well. And it just seemed like a great fit. So brought her on board to help me promote the business and, and grow it. And through those discussions, um, we both decided that a podcast would be a great idea. Uh, one, it would just help us promote the business, but also be another resource that we could put out into the world to help educators by you know, having hopefully interesting conversations about education. And as we were talking about what kind of conversations we wanted to have, uh, Emily asked me a really important and interesting question. Um, Emily, do you remember what exactly you asked me or the way you put it? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly, but I think it was more or less along the lines of, okay, a, a way that people do tend to market is by really buying into the polarization and kind of a culture wars narrative. And my question was, is that what you want to do? And I had a secret hope that it was not what you wanted to do. And that hope was fulfilled. <laughs> yeah, I think I had a pretty visceral reaction of please no. Like I remember, I remember <laughs> yeah. really not wanting to have that sort of conversation. And yeah, I could see the relief wash over you when I responded that way. And I think that's one of the things we connected on really early on is we we both are tired of the way that a lot of conversations are going these days and just the narratives. Um, when you were writing the description for the podcast, there's one line that I really liked, which was that truth seems to have taken a backseat to the various narratives or sides. And mm -hmm. I think we both really resonated with the idea of not not having truth take a backseat and in fact having truth be the full focus and center of what we're talking about. Um, do you think that captures kind of where we connected? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I think it's a it's a disturbing trend right now to both of us and something that I think to both of us and honestly to most of the normal people that I talk to, not like the people that I don't talk to online, Everyone kind of feels this way. They don't really want to increase the levels of polarization. They kind of just want to be reasonable and approach things reasonably. And everyone, what's interesting is that everyone in real life seems to have a consensus about that. But then everyone on, say, Twitter uh, just does not have any kind of consensus about <laughs> that. So uh, that's something that I think actually, especially podcasts are kind of able to address because you can have a longer form, more personal conversation. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure in future episodes, we'll try and get into the psychologizing of all of that and what causes it. But I think one trend I definitely see is um, out of this fear of the other side, we tend to double down on one uh, the side that we choose or the team that we're choosing. And it causes us to accept all sorts of wacky beliefs that we might not otherwise 
entertain. And I even notice it with myself sometimes, like sometimes I'll dismiss a person because I know they have a certain worldview and I won't think critically about the particular position or um, idea that they have. And, and the one thing I would want to stress is I'm the one that loses in that, right? I hurt myself because I'm not willing to hear an idea that could really benefit my life. And, and so I think that sort of idea is what we're trying to, to, to connect over um, and, and have conversations that try and navigate that nuance and, and arrive at the truth. Now, to give our audience an idea of maybe a, a good argument against what we're proposing and, and how to navigate this question, I'm curious, I'll, I'll pose this to you. What would you say to the person that is concerned that maybe we're, we're entertaining all sides or um, you know, taking more of a, a relativistic approach where every opinion is valid, um, every idea is worth, worth hearing out. Um, what, what are your thoughts on maybe that criticism of this approach? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. I, I do tend to think that people who are too defensive about what they think is the truth are probably a little worried that it's not the truth. You know what I mean? Because mm. I because I think there's I, I can't remember the St. Augustine quote right off the top of my head, but he says something like, let's truth and falsehood grapple in the open forum. And I've always just had that opinion is that like, OK, I'm pretty sure that that my beliefs are true and that I have that I probably believe some things that are not true. But that when I encounter those things, I'll find out and be glad to know. And I think that frequently what I see is even with people who share, say, my faith or my political beliefs or my opinions about education, they become hyper defensive. And that does make me worry a little bit that they don't really think it's true, because if it's really true, it can kind of defend itself. So that's my inclination, at least there's obviously you can obviously waste your time on things that just straight up aren't true. But generally, I also think that if someone believes it really wholeheartedly, they probably believe it for a reason. And I'd like to know what those reasons are. Yes, that's a great point. I think what you're saying is, um, A, a lot of that antagonism or dismissiveness comes from a, a place of being defensive, right? If you don't feel like you're on solid ground with your principles or a particular position, it can feel like somebody's attacking you when, when mm -hmm. they bring up something that might shake that foundation. Um, and then the only way to know if you're right, really, ultimately, is to test those ideas, see what other people think and, and, you know, challenge your position and see if you're like how, how solid the ground you are on is actually. Did I, does that capture it well? Yeah, definitely. That makes sense to me. What do you think about that question? Um, yeah, I, I think along the lines of you, too, in terms of, you know, does listening to a position that might be contrary to your own necessarily mean, you know, you're, you're going to descend into subjectivism or accepting any view as valid. And I think a distinction I would make is listening does not mean the same as accepting. Um, so mm -hmm. you can entertain an idea or think about it critically without necessarily uh, accepting it as valid. And I think that is an important distinction. I still do believe there's objective truth that we need to get to through these conversations. Um, and by no means would I think we're, we're going to accept every opinion as valid, but I think it's going to be so helpful for us to at least listen to, you know, people that we might on the face of it, not agree with. 
And I was thinking about um, one of my favorite scenes in Ted Lasso. Have you watched Ted Lasso? Are you a fan of that show? I have watched a little bit of Ted Lasso. Yeah, I love Ted Lasso. (laughs) So season one, one of my favorite scenes in all of the series is the dart scene. And Ted quotes uh, from Walt Whitman. He has this quote, be curious, not judgmental. And I might actually revise that a little bit as I was thinking about it this morning. I might say like, be curious, then judgmental. So <laughs> yeah. I still think it's important yeah. to judge and to, to, you know, every time you hear something, think about it critically, have an opinion and judge it as right and wrong. But I think I like that spirit of start from a place of curiosity. And I think that's one thing where we definitely connect over is I, think we're, I find that we're both very curious people that that's the first part. And then second, we judge. Uh, so yes. I'm excited to have conversations from that perspective. Um, the only last thing I'll say about kind of in way of setup and introduction is we do really hope that um, this will turn into a community, right? Where we'll have the between the lines community where our audience can connect with each other, share resources, um, share tools that they find, share ideas, ask questions. So over time, we hope to do that. And we really do want to foster something here that, um, you know, as Emily said earlier, kind of build out that reasonable middle that I think a lot of us are, are trying to find. And I don't know, the way I look at us, Emily, is not as experts in this. Um, yeah. I think we're hoping, I think both of us have been very lucky to um, have known and know a lot of experts that we'll probably be able to bring into the show and podcast and have conversations with. But I kind of see us as two curious, enthusiastic people who are kind of the audience's companion to try and figure all this mm-hmm. thing out, right? And try and figure out what makes a good education. Uh, would you agree with that? Is that how you see your role here as well? Yeah. And I also think one of the things that I really like about certain interview podcasts is that the the hosts ask the questions that I was hoping to ask. Mm. And often they're able to have access to experts that I couldn't have access to. So that's what I would aspire to do. Uh, and so hopefully we'd get some feedback from the audience on, you know, okay, it's, it was helpful when you asked this. So in a way, I kind of see us as stand-ins for the audience, because hopefully we'll also have a curious audience and we can just be curious for them uh, on on our own time. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, so yeah, that's, I think that's a good overview of how we got here and, and what we're doing. And, you know, the main topic I thought we could focus on for our first discussion is what we both think the purpose of education is, because ultimately we want this podcast to be about education and defining what makes a good education. Like what should we do in the classroom on a day-to-day basis? Uh, and there's lots of details to flesh out there. But a good starting point that will be our kind of guiding light is what the purpose of it all is, right? If we can get a bit more clarity on that, I think our audience can understand where we're coming from and whether they even agree and want to listen to us. Uh, And then it can also help keep us centered as we discuss it. So um, the way I'll pose this question to you, because I don't actually know your answer yet. I intentionally wanted to Mm -hmm. save it for the podcast. So I'm really excited to hear what you have to say. So the way I'll frame it, though, is, you know, what you think the purpose of education is and maybe how your experience with education, you know, your experience being educated um, in your childhood or or adulthood, how that maybe has shaped what you think the purpose is. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, this is a great question. So I think that the way that I was always told, the way that I was always educated in thinking about education 
was uh, especially liberal arts education, which was a lot of my background, is that it's all kind of in those two words. So you've got liberal arts and liberal has to do with freedom. And then you have educare, which means lead out of somewhere. And I, a lot of people use it for leading out of ignorance is the way people phrase it. But I actually think it's more helpful to think about it in terms of like leading leading out of some sort of bondage, like leading out of not being able to think well into being able to think well, you have an increased level of freedom. And that's really been my experience. People like to talk a lot about, uh, they'll be like, oh, when I was a kid, it was so nice. And I was so innocent and everything was so perfect. And I think back to being a kid and I'm like, that was annoying. I didn't know how to do a bunch of things. I didn't know how to think about a bunch of things. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know, you know, and I remember having this frustration of like, I don't know, I don't know how to do math and I don't know how to read and I don't know, you know, and I think that that, as I look back on my educational life, what I see is just the trajectory from the bondage of ignorance, of not knowing things, of not understanding the world around me, or also of not being able to appreciate the world around me. Say the study of science helps you appreciate the outdoors, the study of psychology helps you appreciate people. So I think I just see education as enabling you to do more and to see more in the world around you. And what I would call that is freedom. When I was young, I remember one teacher describing it as, it's kind of like when you learn to play the piano, building. So I guess there's a lot of different pieces now that I'm doing here because there's there's education, and I also think formation and virtue is very related to that. And then there's learning concrete skills like the piano. And it's very obvious in the piano example because when you learn to play the piano, you you can't play the piano. You're not free to just sit down and come up with a new song. But once you've done a lot of training, you're able to just sit down and play, and you're free to improvise. And mm. when, a, when a teacher brought that up in class, I remember being so struck by it. I was probably about 14. And I thought, that's it. That's what I'm hoping for. That's what I want to achieve in life. And so I see all those things as really connected. There's, a, there's this educational element. There's this virtue element. And there's this freedom element. And I think we think about education as training. And in a way, you can understand, say, playing the piano is training. But I actually think they're all connected in this freedom, on this freedom side. I absolutely love that way of putting it. Just the concept of... I mean, normally when we use the term freedom, we're talking about in the philo uh, the political context, right? Mm -hmm. Freedom from some sort of oppression or aggression. But what more essential kind of freedom is there than your own mind, right? Having, yes. having the necessary knowledge or skills or capabilities to, you know, actually be free to live your life a certain way. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I really love that concept. So for, for the audience again and for me can yeah. you say again what the um uh the the liberal arts definition i just love the way you you connected that so again break down those two words for for me again yeah so if you take the phrase liberal education liberal means having to do with freedom it's like freeing and then education means leading out so liberal education should mean something like leading out toward freedom and that's the traditional understanding of like the traditional seven liberal arts. And that's also where now I'm on a tangent, but that's also tied to the traditional understanding that that education is something that's related to leisure. Like it's something that you do freely out of the, the freedom of your time. 
and that it's a gift. And I also think we've lost some sense of that. And when you think about it that way as, okay, this is something that I get to do or that I get to give to other people and it helps them to become more free. You just appreciate that as a gift a bit more. Oh, totally. And that reminds me of just an anecdote. I was listening to a podcast not too long ago on, um, on chat GPT and they were interviewing a bunch of students who have been using GPT essentially to cheat on their, on their assignments. And they were asking, they were asking the students like what they thought about that. Like, do they have any moral qualms about it? And their reaction was just, well, society has set it up that we need to get these grades in order to mm. get a job. So we're doing whatever we can to get the grades, to get the job. And there was no love of learning or the, the idea was not about how this learning helped their lives. It was just this arbitrary step that they was imposed on them that they had to fulfill. And so they're going to do it by any means necessary. So um, I love this concept of like, for your own sake, for your own soul and mind and benefit, learning is the path to freeing your life. Yes. That's really interesting. Cause in a way I see that point, you know what I mean? If you've never, if no one's ever explained to you why you're doing any of this stuff, then of course you're not, you're not going to see the point. If you, if you've just experienced like purely standardized testing, you know, you have to get a college degree. You don't know why you need a college degree there. You've been giving no reasoning for anything. Then Mm. what what is the point of learning you don't have a concept of what learning is versus as i was and i'll get into a little bit of of my background in education um but i think growing up i just had many many teachers and many many uh school philosophies that emphasize this like sure you can cheat but you're really just cheating yourself out of learning the things that we're trying to teach you and so that i think understanding the reasoning behind it even if as a child you still don't really want to do it you at least know why. And I think people underestimate mm. as well. First of all, how much children can understand about the why behind what they're doing. And secondly, how much they can really tell if there's no reason. And it's just because you said so. Mm. And kids don't really buy that that much, in my experience. <laughs> right. So I want to riff on that a little bit because, man, I, I'm not surprised, but um, I had a feeling our views on the purpose of education would be pretty similar and would, would dovetail nicely. So I was thinking about my own answer to the question and was having a little bit of trouble because, you know, the, the obvious thing that came to my mind was just, you know, the purpose of education is to think better, like to help, help mm -hmm. people think more effectively. And that there's truth to that, but that's a lame answer. I think <laughs> it's not satisfying to me. It doesn't really feel like it, it has anything I can chew on. And then I was thinking about my experience with education because I knew you were going to ask me about that at some point. And so mm -hmm. um, I had an aha moment in the shower about how this, my experience with education really has shaped how I view the purpose of education. And I was thinking back to a class I took in grade 10. Um, it was called planning 10. Did you have something similar? It was like a core, a class in high school where we had to um, we had to plan the rest of our lives essentially. At how old are you in grade no, 10? No, like I don't know. If, I have never heard of that. Is that a Canadian thing? Maybe. Uh, it might be. Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know, I'm I'm from Canada. I grew up in Canada. <laughs> went to a public school in Canada. I did not have a liberal arts education growing up. Um, 
but yeah, we had planning 10 and I don't remember everything we learned in planning 10. I think there were some like what you might call soft skills, like how to balance a checkbook, I think is the, the typical example, but yeah, the majority of it, as the name suggests planning was, um, you chose what your career was going to be and then you worked your way backwards. So like what university do you want to go do then? And like, what program should you major in? And then what electives would you take in grade 11 and 12, right? So you had to plan out your life at 15. And I had no clue, right? I had no idea what, what I was going to do. Um, and I don't really know, looking back on it, whether the people that seemed so confident actually knew themselves. But yeah, um, that, that's an interesting dynamic for another conversation. But, you know, leaving high school, I still had no clue. I kind of just ended up following the path I think my parents recommended. And in my early 20s, I started really studying. I discovered a love for learning through philosophy. Uh, I got exposed to The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand and just started consuming everything I could. Not just philosophy, though, like history, literature. I love psychology. And something really strange started to happen, which is I started gaining confidence and being able to solve problems and like answer big questions mm. and little questions. I remember having this moment in, uh, I was in, um, I, I went to business school for college and, and uh, I had this moment because like in my second or third year was when I had this awakening and I would often like find myself at the back of class, not listening to the teacher and instead like reading some book uh, that I was more interested <laughs> in and studying um, philosophy or something else in my spare time. And I remember having this one moment where I came to a midterm for one of my business classes, completely unprepared. I didn't study and looking at a question and the question was like about some business situation. I don't remember what it was now, but it was, you know, a, a scenario involving two companies and trying to, you know, you had to answer what you thought they should do. And I could remember seeing a slide the teacher had shown in class with the three points I know she wanted me to write, but <laughs> I never liked memorizing. So I could not remember what those three points were, but I remember the header. And <laughs> initially I had a moment of panic. And then after a moment, I paused and thought and wrote something down and ended up getting an E on the test. And that was like a big turning moment point for me because I started realizing, wait a second, I can figure these things out just by thinking. I've been training my huh. mind now learning as much as I can and I can't anticipate everything that's going to come my way but like if I just start to think about some of this stuff I can I can figure it out I can just think about what would what would be right here and I think that captures a little bit of what I think the purpose of education is so if I think about what we have to do as human beings all the time is think like we have to figure out what we're going to do what decisions we're going to make um, how to acquire the information we need, how to think about that information. All of this stuff is what thinking really is ultimately. Mm -hmm. And we have to figure out how to be able to deal with that. I mean, from the biggest questions, like what we're going to do with life, like what job we're going to do, who we're going to get married to, you know, who we're going to vote for to like little things like, should I floss every day or what should I eat for dinner or how yeah. am I going to learn this new exercise? All of that requires thinking. And I think when I lay it out like that to myself, it seems crazy to try and imagine that we could anticipate every kind of decision a particular person would make in their lifetime. 
And it seems also silly to try and then say, well, let's just make a manual for them where it's just step-by-step instructions they can pull out. That would be clearly impossible. And so to me, the question of education is about what body of knowledge or wisdom or methods of thinking can we impart onto people so that they're equipped to handle whatever life throws their way, right? We don't need to anticipate Mm -hmm. everything. We can give them the tools they need to, to be able to go and act and live in this world confidently. And I love that, how that dovetails with your conception of freedom, because I think that's ultimately what it is. Like, if you think about the alternative, if you, if you aren't capable of thinking, then you are dependent on somebody else, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm sure we've all had those experiences where we don't know what to do in a particular situation. So we look up to some, some mentor or authority figure in our life for guidance and help. Well, it's not really free to be dependent on a person in that way. And so Mm -hmm. to me, I, I, I just love how those two ideas now intersect of what it means to equip somebody's mind and the freedom that that then affords. So, yeah, I'm really curious what you think of that idea. Does it, whether it, it makes sense and jives with how you're looking at education. Absolutely. That's really striking that you say that. Cause I remember distinctly having that moment in college. I went to a liberal arts college and I remember just having this moment where I thought I can't explain to my parents everything about my life anymore. They actually aren't going to be able to tell me what the right thing is mm. to do in my situation what is best, what makes sense for me, say I'm like in pursuing my English degree or, you know, even just like how I'm spending my weekend or whatever. And I just remember I had had, you know, a classical education up to that point, but I think it was in college that that really struck me like, okay, now I make the decisions. Now I'm the adult. And so I really like the way that you phrased it and expressed it is it's, it's enabling us to do that. It's enabling us to think for ourselves. And if you are reliant on someone else for your kind of fundamental perception of what reality is, uh, or, or, you know, the, the everyday decisions of your life, or you can't reason from the things that you have to what you're going to do next, then you're not really an adult and you haven't really been educated. And I think that does have some slightly scary implications for a lot of people in, in, contemporary culture, because I think a lot of people do kind of participate in this economy of extreme opinions where they kind of do what the herd think is doing. But Mm -hmm. I also think it has really positive implications because that shows you that's that that's not a particular kind of person. That kind of person is not particularly dumb in some sort of way. It's just that they perhaps have not been educated to take ownership of their own life. Mm. And I think that's a really good optimistic point to inject. There's plenty of opportunity right now in the world for, for pessimism um, yeah. and cynicism about what's going on. But I, I know that's what gets me excited each day is the idea of how powerful a good education can be. One one thought I'll share is, I, I can't remember when it, originally this occurred to me. Um, at some point, I'm sure in my 20s when I was studying history and looking at the the drastic shifts in human civilization over the past few thousand years. And in particular, I remember thinking about, you know, ancient Greece compared to our time now, compared to maybe like the Enlightenment or Renaissance period and just the drastic shifts that have happened all over the place. And 
one very comforting idea to me was like, I don't think our brains have changed that much. I'm not a biologist. Mm -hmm. I'll say that, but yeah. I don't think our brains could have evolved that differently in the last two, 3000 years. And so it's really ideas that have changed and shifted and, you know, been the determiners of the way our society looks. And so, you know, that makes me really optimistic, despite the current state of education. It also means that, hey, if we fix it, if we change yeah. the educational landscape within a generation, you could you could turn this whole thing around. So I know that's what really animates and motivates me is just that idea of the more people you can provide that education to. It's not like, to your point, I think there's some innate quality in people that forces them to go in polarizing directions or to you know, be dependent on other people for their opinions. It is just a matter of what ideas they've been exposed to and what mentors they've been exposed to and what kind of education they've been exposed to. So I know that gives me a lot of comfort. Does it, yes. does it make you excited about the, the future? Definitely, definitely. And I also think that you brought to mind something that a professor in college used to say, which was, uh, if it sounds stupid, then people in the past probably didn't believe it. And I always thought that was really helpful because we we have this tendency i think on both sides and different people on different days you know we'll say oh you know back in the dark ages when they didn't know about medicine and everyone was stupid and then we'll say you know now everyone's stupid because in the 1930s or whatever the kids had everything memorized this kind of thing i think you hear it both directions and i think you're right fundamentally the things that the human mind is able to do have not changed that much it's just a question of what kind of formation we've received as far as what mm. we do with that. Yeah. And, you know, that makes me really excited that what we're doing, um, both with this podcast and with the, the business behind it is trying to affect some sort of change and, and make that happen. Um, mm. So I'm really excited to keep pursuing this. And I think what, what we hope to do in this podcast is, you know, explore what actually needs to be done or can be done to facilitate that goal. Um, I really love, mm -hmm. again, that, that idea of freedom um, in the way you put it is going to be my standard now, as I think about what the purpose of education is. And what I think we're going to try and do with these conversations is tease out the nuance of how you actually deliver it. Cause I think it's probably easier said than done. Mm -hmm. I know there's lots yeah. of, uh, lots of uh, ideas out there already that we could pull from. We're not, certainly not going to be coming up with anything from scratch, but um, I think that's, what's going to be so much fun is to figure out how to actually uh, do that. And one thing I will say is I still do not know how to balance a checkbook. I don't know if I ever have or have had to. I don't really but, either. <laughs> but I think I could probably say confidently for both of us as people who have worked hard to educate ourselves, um, we probably could both figure it out. I'm, I'm fairly yes. confident. <laughs> Yes, that's a really good point. I think that that it's like teach a man to fish kind of a thing, except maybe education is more about teaching a man how to learn to fish. <laughs> if you can well, learn, I learn to anything, fish. really. Yeah, I think that's the main. Like point. if you learn the skill of learning, uh, for example, if you learn the skill of reading, I've just experienced that uh, in my life. There are so many books that I haven't read. And I did leave my English literature degree feeling a little bit like, man, there are so many books that I haven't read. And that's really what I took away from this. But 
as I've looked back on it, I've realized what I took away from it was the ability to read so that I then can pick up these books that I want to read. And I can pick up new books that people are writing now. And there's this sense of expansiveness. And I think that's what the gift of this is, that it opens up your sense to to more expansiveness, to more possibility. And you can always take on new information and enrich your life in a way that you couldn't before. So I am curious, mm. actually, though, to hear more about how you got involved in the classical education space, because you mentioned that you didn't grow up with it. And it's something that I grew up with. So I'd love to know more about what spoke to you about it. Uh, sure. I mean, I'm fairly new to classical education and, you know, the formal liberal arts. Um, like I said, I, I got introduced to Ayn Rand's ideas in my early 20s, um, so probably over 10 years now, and just explored philosophy and ideas in general. Um, within the last, I would say, two years, maybe a year, um, I've just been getting in contact with more people from the Catholic community and from the liberal arts community and classical education community. And um, as I've been comparing it to other people I know who are in the education space and trying to navigate who my, who, who I ally with, who I want to be associated with, I just found myself speaking the same language as a lot of people from the classical education space. And that just really intrigued me. And I just wanted to learn more. I mean, there's something to be said for something that, has worked right there is a tradition that mm -hmm. led up into you know 16 1700s where the course of humanity got really like significantly better in a lot of ways you know there was an industrial revolution that happened after a scientific revolution and i really was interested in understanding those ideas and also um, how those people were educated and so investigating the classical tradition is just something i'm, I'm very interested in and um, I think there's probably an accumulated wisdom that there's a lot to learn from. So I'm very new to it, though. I, I, um, I'm learning the trivium and quadrivium right now. I'm, I'm a fellow at the Boethius Institute, and we just finished our section on grammar, and we're about to start logic. So um, still very, very early on into my studies, though. I don't know that's if that awesome. gives you the, the context, though. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's very, it very much kind of speaks to the thing that we've been talking about, namely that this appeals to people and it's something that you can learn. And it's something that is, it's like a, it's like a flywheel kind of like once you start working on it, you, it kind of enriches itself more and more and more and you can go deeper. Yeah. And I want to like nail something through to just a point you made, I think so important when you teach effectively you don't need to worry about teaching a student everything you can teach them so that they can learn anything is mm -hmm. maybe a way i could summarize it like you're giving them the tools like you said if you teach them to read they can then go read any book they want and i think that's the fundamental that we're we're both um going for i think one last thing we should end with and just mention is one thing I'm particularly excited for in these conversations is the, the very different background we both came from. So we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but yeah. you know, you come from a, a classical background, a liberal, like steeped in the liberal arts and a religious background. I'm secular. I consider myself an atheist and not well-educated kind of trying to make up for, <laughs> for lost time, if you will. And 
I'm just really excited because I don't, I, I think for a lot of people, they wouldn't anticipate any like fruitful conversations coming out of that or, you know, any common ground. But I think already through this conversation, we're seeing how much we overlap on the essential questions, like the big questions. And I'm really excited to to figure out what else we agree on, but also to inevitably have some conversations where we don't agree and see how we navigate those and model that for other people. I totally agree. And I think that there, that's really what everyone needs is we need to have more conversations with people we don't agree with. One, that was one of my most enriching experiences was going from Catholic classical school to just classical school, which isn't that big of a difference. But to me, it was different because I found a lot of people who believed things very strongly and the things they believed were different. And that forced me to think through it and really own it. And it was a very educational experience in all the ways we've been talking about where it enriches your sense of what you think. It causes you to question some things fruitfully and, it, and you just really learn more and more. So I think that's the natural form of education probably for adults is conversations. And we've really had a lack, something I feel very passionately about as well, is just the, the increase in loneliness in our times and the ways that we can help amend that loneliness in whatever way that's possible. And so I think people are really looking for rich conversations right now. And that's why I think podcasts in general are so popular. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. So I hope that the audience that's been listening along will has enjoyed this and is excited to to hear more conversations from us and um, have us dive into more ideas. Um, I think a good place to end for today, I'm going to put you on the spot, but um, <laughs> is there a topic or idea you're most excited to explore on this podcast? Ooh, I, uh, my personal one that I'm looking forward to a lot, because I think we're going to have different opinions on it is that you touched on the dark ages. The dark ages is one mm. of my favorite things to talk about because I don't think the dark ages were dark. I think it's a misnomer. Uh, and so I'm really excited to talk to a real life person who believes in the dark ages because I just think we get such a rich conversation and we'll probably disagree and it'll be, it'll be really exciting. So it's a more controversial one and it's kind of a funny one to be. Uh, there are probably more, um, I don't know, more foundational podcasts that we'll be doing, but that's one I'm particularly excited about. How about you? Well, yeah, I mean, that was the top of my list too. So maybe we'll have oh, to really? bump that up as one yeah, of the, the soon episodes. <laughs> but just for the sake of variety for another topic I, I'm excited to dive into is probably, um, I would say, the idea of independence, fleshing that out more. Mm -hmm. And yes. kind of what I perceive as a false dichotomy between independence and instruction. And mm -hmm. I think that ties into the theme of what we spoke about today, how education is an instruction as part of that is actually liberating, not inhibitive mm -hmm. to your independence. So, but no, yes. I'm, I'm so excited. I've always wanted to talk to somebody about how they viewed, um, you know, the period of time post Roman Roman empire, <laughs> whether we call it dark yeah. ages or middle ages. Um, I'm, I'm excited yeah. to, to dive into that more um, yeah. and just learn about, another perspective. So, um, Great. yeah, thank you so much, Emily, for, for doing this. I had a lot of fun and yeah, um, thank you. Yeah, I'm excited for our next episode. Me too. I think we should just throw a little uh, shout out to the audience here, because if you're listening now, you're probably a very early, uh, early subscriber, early buyer in. So send us, send us a message telling us what you want to hear us talk about. 
Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Emily.